Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a good day, morning, wherever you are. Today's episode, we're talking all things meme and viral content. We have Austin Pollock, who is the head of brand partnerships at Doing Things Media. And you guys, this is a pretty chaotic episode. We talk about everything from Velociraptors to how to make things go viral and the origin of meme culture and who actually owned memes whenever they start. So if you're interested in memes, dinosaurs, and all that stuff in between, you want to tune in and listen. So grab a snack and let's go. Austin, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Great for, uh, thanks for having me, Colin, and uh, on this rainy post-Labor Day here in New York. Uh, we love it. We love a rainy New York day, don't we all? Just perfect. <laughs> well, we haven't had any like rain this summer, so it's like a welcome sort of like shift into fall, I feel like, and changing mindset from summer into, all right, let's, let's get to work. And honestly, I don't mind it because I'm so sick of sweating on my way to work and stuff right being so hot. So the fact that I was able to get to work and not sweat and like not have all my moisturizers melt off my face. <laughs> I'm doing great. It's, it's a great rough to a great fall. This is what we have coming up. <laughs> this is good. I can roll with this and soon we'll be able to wear sweaters again. So sweat, sweat away the <laughs> Uh, moisturizer dripping down the face on the l train or on the four or five train look as well and i swear the four or five because that's what i usually takes the four or five i swear they have they don't have ac you can't convince me otherwise they did not have ac all summer i don't care take it take it up to like i don't care that's what i'm saying happened i don't mta if you're listening like no, you didn't. Don't fight me. Don't at me. Like, it's true. There was no AC. It's still like, you know, like, choose behind which door when the subway car approaches of what's going to be the surprise. There's going to be no AC. 
is it going to be too crowded on one? It's, there's all kinds of surprises waiting for you uh, when the doors open. And honestly, I like all summer, like I've just come to the conclusion that I'm going to sweat like a whale. So yeah. I just let it happen. Like I used to hide and be like wear two shirts a day, like bring a chain shirt and like all that. This summer I was like, you know what? We're embracing full whale behavior. Like it is what it is. <laughs> like I don't care anymore. You all will see what you see. <laughs> I've been t-shirts only all summer long and will continue it until sweater season. And I just alternate between the two. And it's just, there's nothing like a good like crew neck or a V-neck and a cardigan. That is my favorite. That's my favorite. Like, uh, like so crisp. Like you can dress it up, dress it up. Like it's just perfect. Like, uh, yep. Yep. And you can roll that. You can do that in the winter if you just have a heavier jacket over. So it's a, it's almost full season. Like, it, I just, uh, well, well I, have to, I have to bring it back so we talk about, like, fall, winter yeah. things. Because I could go on this topic, as you all can see in here, for a very long time. <laughs> uh, Austin, <laughs> yeah. our first question that we always like to do is, like, what does the term young influential mean to you? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. It, you know, I thought about this, and it's interesting. I think it's, like... It's a little bit of like a mindset, if that makes sense. You know, it's it's a person or a group of people or people in general that I think understand, even though they're young or early in their career, they still have influence. Right. And they understand how to use that influence and uh, that they can have an impact on whatever it is they're working on. Um, it's just how do you do it? Right. I think a lot of um people young in their career or early in their career sometimes make the mistake of thinking just because they don't have the experience, they don't have influence. But that's totally inaccurate. Right. Like you have opinions and ideas that matter and, and can influence, I think, the the bigger picture of uh, whatever it is you're doing or the company you're working for or the project you're working on, whatever it is, um, you have influence, right? And so it's it's understanding, I think, at a younger uh, you know age or stage in your career how to use that influence. And I feel like you brought up such a good point because a lot of times people are like, oh, I can't make an impact because I'm only 8 or I'm only 12 or I'm only 30, like I have to wait till I'm 50 and people think that I've been in this realm for generations to really speak up, but that's not true. We're seeing people of all ages and stuff create influencing for whether it's a business or start something else. So it's like, it doesn't have to do with age. I feel like you can do it at any age. Like it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. And you know, with technology and social media today, there's so many ways to do things and new ways to do things that it, to your point, it's not the same level of experience that people need to to have the ability to to do something right like you can do anything really in this in this time and era we're in it's just um doing it so kind of your original point like i think someone who's a young influential is someone who's understood that and can harness that power and whatever it is that they're doing and i just i just wish that i like started influencing like iced coffee and stuff like the other people like charlie d'amelio and all of them like that's if only we had this type of stuff around when I was younger because I would have started like a fall coffee type movement on social media early on. Uh, I would have started it early. Uh. And it's, and that's the amazing thing about, I think social media too, is like, there's a place for that, right? Like it used to be like, if you're a fall coffee aficionado, you, you know, maybe found a few friends at the coffee shop to talk, talk to about it. But now it's, out there for the world and you can build a community around that like uh, all the all the things you can do uh, bless social media tiktok and yep. all, the, all the other things um but before we get into like deep dive into doing things like can you share with us your background like what did you study in school did you study like media communications like 
how did you get interest in this realm? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I started out like a lot of people when they go into uh, college and I think I'm going to study what my dad studied or what my brother studied. And so I started down the the general business path. And then I actually took a uh, business of media course and I fell in love. I loved everything about media and, uh, and how do you grow a media company? How do you uh, work with brands and advertisers? And so I actually shifted my entire major after I took that course my sophomore year to be a digital media major. But also, since I did have a lot of business prerequisites already uh, under my belt, I did a business minor as well. So that's probably one of the few, especially, uh, you know, this era that are, you know, this deep in the media and social media that actually studied it in college and studied digital media in college. And it's amazing. There's even digital media degrees you can get now. Um, but that's how I stepped into it. And then, you know, from there, I found internships at different digital media companies. I've, my first internship was just at the local TV station in Waco, Texas, where I went to school and then uh, got a little bit of understanding of how local TV works doing that. And then uh, the next summer, I interned at an uh, old website called College Humor, old YouTube channel and everything, and got kind of hooked into the digital content space uh, after that internship and knew that's what I wanted to do for, for work. Wait, you just said, did, did we discuss that we that we both went to, that we're both texting? Did we discuss this? Like, no, we wait, didn't discuss this. You, you said Waco and I was like, wait, Waco, like Baylor? <laughs> I don't think. Like Baylor, a little different today than it was when I went there. There was no chipper, uh, Joanna uh. media and, uh, <laughs> home design empire. There, that that area of town looked a little different uh, when I was in school. No, yeah, because my, my brother went to Baylor and I went to Southwestern, like down the street. Um, oh, nice. I know what's funny is okay, you mentioned business, and I feel like everybody when I was coming around, like I was a communications major, but everybody was like, "Oh, easy symbol." I don't know what I'm gonna do business. When where did this start? That business was like the easy default because it's a lot of math. So I applaud all you it's, business majors. Like there's a lot of math involved. And that's what I was bad at. I was bad at all the math classes. And then I took the digital media class and I aced it. I was like, this just makes way more sense to me than the number side. So I'm going to pursue that. Um, this is fun. This is something that like my brain understood. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go all in on that. And not the Excel and MIS typing classes and all of those kinds of things that just <laughs> broke me down <laughs> late at night many times. Because I feel like when a lot of people hear, like, I mean, that's why I didn't, because I've always loved marketing and stuff, but I was like, oh, math statistics, like, can't do that. So I'm like, communications, you can apply that to everything. But I feel like nowadays, like, we have so many, there's different niches. Like, there's, like, like you said, the media aspect of business, there's whatever. Because I feel like a lot of times, like, back then, it was like, if you were too niche, it couldn't be applied to anything. Um, But I feel like now, like, you can do, like, say like a uh, major in social media marketing or major in um, like just something even more specific and stuff. And that can still be applied to a lot. Cause I feel like now people are like, Oh, I might want to do this for now, but I might want to switch careers like later on. Like I've talked to so many people who started off in the sciences and now they like own restaurants and things and have switched, yeah. but it's like those things. I feel like a lot of times we get so bogged down and we don't see how skills that we learn in one thing can be applied to numerous things that it doesn't have to, bog you down like you can use it to different in different fields 100 and kind of to your point earlier too or what we're talking about is that we live in this world now where there's so many options and things to do out there and in, in non-traditional ways and um 
there's so many niches that you can apply these things to, or so many niches you can go and explore. And I think you're seeing that, right? Like you're, you go look at like college courses that they offer now. And it's, it's very deep. Like I saw just obviously what we do uh, at doing things and, and specialize in memes. Like there's meme, there are meme college courses out there. Like you can go and take a college course from a professor about memes and meme culture um, because of that influence. And so I think there's just so many more, rabbit holes and, and things people can go down, which is great, right? I think the more people can do to discover those things that they that interest them, um, you know, that's going to have a more uh, profound impact on them educationally than, than the traditional sort of degrees or ways to educate yourself that they're, that are out there today. Like, I, w- I mean, I wish, like, there's one, I forgot which school, it might be uh, UT Austin, but there's a school that's offering, like, a class on, like, Taylor Swift in her ears, and I'm like, dang, I, we get an A in that class. <laughs> Easily. I think my proudest college accomplishment um, is I took a poli sci class and they let me do it on Kim Kardashian and I got an A. It was like my first A like ever in college. And that's still my proudest moments. I'm like the fact that they let me do a paper on like Kim Kardashian. What was what was your thesis on the on the project? Well so like it was a so back her it was her April 2014, it was the cover that she and Kanye did with North. It had to be 2014. It had to be like April or May 2014. Um, and when they when that cover came out, everybody was like um, messaging Vogue and Anna Wintour saying that like she needed to remove that cover, that um, they're disgracing the Vogue name. And so my paper was like sitting around like classism and who had the right to um, define like who deserved to be where. And so I basically, in that paper, I broke down, like, how in society we sometimes often, like, feel like certain people and certain artists are entitled to what, um, who has access to stuff and who deserves to be in certain room spaces. Yeah. And so I basically just, like, broke that down. And I'm just like, wow, the fact that he let me do this and I got an A, it was pretty much probably, like, one of the only A's I got in a college paper. (laughs) But I, a true (laughs) interesting, like, macro, interesting macro level like uh discussion or thing is like yeah who who does have the right to to make that decision and those kind of like gatekeepers or have that because it was just crazy like how they were like boycotting in a wind and just like how dare you put that girl on the cover like she's a disgrace and it was just like it got so much media attention i'm just like somebody's gotta talk about this yeah and it shall be me (laughs) (laughs) um but i what was what was your follow-up after that one? Like, I'm trying to think what else. I'm trying to think that. What did I do? I had, I think I did. Let me see. I, I did one on, like, the art of the selfie. I did one on, okay. influ- like, early influencers. Like, I did a lot of, like, social media-based ones, like, going from there up and through, like, uh, grad school when I did uh, journalism school, right? Focused a lot on, like influencers early adoption of that type of stuff where a lot of people were like giving me looks like wait what and i'm like no 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 like trust me on this but that when that paper here that was when i was like yeah i did it with this one i convinced everyone (laughs) (laughs) well it's you saw it coming you knew it's gonna be uh, a whole industry and a whole uh thing that people uh do for a living and also do for fun so it's it's a big uh big thing today all right uh, what a time what an era <laughs> um but breaking it but now moving on breaking it down can you describe to us like what doing things is and like how that idea came about speaking of memes yeah for sure and 
I'll, I always love starting when I start talking about doing things media, uh, the origin story, because it's so unique and, and you know, um, authentic. So our two co-founders, Reed and Derek, were actually a part of this group on Instagram called Meme Illuminati. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's true, though. Uh, the, there's articles, there's like a Vice article about them. And like, can they force uh, something to go viral or force a trend? And like their sort of response is, yeah, we can, we can do it. Like they made a meme about uh, uh, skinning the oh skin gosh. off of grapes. <laughs> went, went viral and was like this little micro trend for a little while. And again, there's a little bit of like a, a test and a play to see like, all right, like, do we have enough influence to make something as weird as, you know, as taking a scalpel and removing the skin off of a grape, uh, a viral trend. And sure enough, uh, there's some success there. So there's a whole, there's a whole vice article about them, but they were a part of this group. It was this community of meme creators that, um, uh, connected over in this DM group and there was actually celebrities in it. And some of the most fire memes you've seen out there were created by like a John Mayer or <laughs> BJ Novak. And they're in this like original chat of like, what's the meme Illuminati. Uh, and they were just riffing off ideas. They were like, Hey, like I have this idea for this meme. And then people would throw it into the chat and then they would iterate off of it. And then everyone would kind of go and different post different things based off of that um, original concept or meme idea. And, so if you remember back in 2014, 2015, a lot of pages that were popular at the time started getting a lot of heat for, for taking a lot of content that this community of creators were making uh, and not giving them credit, right? Like they were just posting it almost as their own work or not citing who actually made it. Um, and Reed and Derek were very much a part of that community. And they kind of were like, screw this. Like if this is, you know, if people are going to make money or build an audience off of the content we're making as a community, like let's start our own business. So that was the kind of starting jumping off point for doing things media was uh, Reed and Derek taking a lot of the pages that they had built, uh, a lot of the ones that their friends have been building and putting them underneath this doing things media umbrella um, without really the idea in mind at the time that they were going to start building a social media um, kind of business or a larger media company out of it. It was more like, hey, like we have power in numbers. The creative process is better when you're like working with more people on a regular basis and we also have sold some funny t-shirt ideas and merch ideas. So like, let's just consolidate all this and start um, seeing what we can make of it. And so that was how it began. Um, and since then it's, it's really sort of evolved and taken on a life of its own because uh, at the core of everything we do is creators and the core of everything we do um, and as a business is it was with like with the audience in mind and like what's going to work and resonate with that audience and also keeping creators at the forefront of what we're doing and then trying to build, you know, uh, operational models and revenue models that uh, work around the creators and not the other way around, right? Where I think a lot of traditional media companies have failed where they have uh, business models, operational models or revenue models that they try to force creators into, but we're taking a little bit of a different approach of putting that creator sort of mindset um, and what creators want first and then building a business around them. And I feel like what's cool about that is like you um, just like forming that type of thing as like it can be kind of scary to create a meme where it's like, oh, well, this just be an inside joke that only we get or like how do we relate it to people? And I feel like that's kind of a right. slippery slope whenever you're like delving into like creating memes and like stuff like that. There's a lot of times you don't know if like it's going to resonate with audiences or if it's just going to resonate with one audience and how to kind of make it where it speaks on a wider scale because you don't want it to because a lot of times like you don't want it to be where it's like 
you're trying to like talk to everybody at once because then that kind of dilutes the value of it. But you also want to make sure it's like, okay, this isn't just something that like the three of us get. Like, this is something that like other people can relate to. Like, um, you guys posted one, um, I think it was like a few days ago, <laughs> where it was like mosquitoes when they start to see us wearing less and going out, where I was screaming. <laughs> I was screaming. I was like, no, why is this accurate? <laughs> oh, it's so good. It, yeah, that's it. Got to the point earlier, like, there's there's so many different levels of meme culture, too, that, like, I don't think people totally even realize there's there's kind of, like, mainstream meme culture, and that's, like, the stuff that I think is just super relatable for anyone, everyone. Then there's some, like, subsets of meme culture, and then there's, like, niche meme culture as well. And that's kind of, like, if you were to go back if, years ago and start your pumpkin spice latte uh meme page you know you'd be living you'd build a community you would probably have tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of followers who subscribe to that content and want that content uh, because it's relatable to them right and something that they care about and so yeah i think there's a lot of different life's uh, meme content can take and a lot of different like layers and depth to to um, meme content, but it really comes down to the community, like, right? Like what's the community around that page, around that voice and having creators and, uh, a creative team that can just hit that, right? Like knowing that audience and knowing that voice. And that's why, you know, I think meme content is continued to be what fuels Instagram in a big way is because, uh, Instagram is such a community based platform and, uh, creators are able to really, uh, connect with their audience, I think on a deeper level than some other platforms out there. And so, it gives them, I think, a greater command of the content that they're putting out and knowing that um, it's going to land with their audience and staying relevant with their audience. And I feel like with me, whenever I like see the memes, like I feel like like we, you said earlier, like the ownership thing, like is there some is there like a way where you guys are doing where it's like you take like a video clip or you take an image from a popular show and then do the meme? Like, is there like a thing where you have to like give credit to like where I know we're starting to see that where people be like oh image from Bravo or image from whatever where you're like taking these like popular like image like the cat and the housewife one like that where like people are taking them and it's like but who it gets to the point where it's like who actually owns it like yeah yeah that part it's it's a weird one like there's definitely like people who want to like try to trace back to like who is the first person who found that moment and if you wanted to go deep into like an internet hunt you can typically find it but there's some stuff like that formats that just go so crazy that they literally just enter like creative commons right like they're just so like um out there and passed around and shared around and it just becomes just kind of a contest of like all right like who can do the funniest thing off of this or who can then create something that's uh you know funny to that particular audience that's based off of it but yeah i mean as much as possible it's a big thing in the, in the meme community is like you give people credit, right? If someone has like a really good piece of content and you know who created it, like you give them credit, right? Um, but there's also a lot of create meme creators and, and creators in general out there who don't care about the, <laughs> it's, they're about the art, right? Like they don't want the credit. They don't want the audience. Like they put the stuff out there and then, you know, they're, they're just happy to see it get picked up by some of the bigger pages out there that are rooted in, in cultural relevance. Yeah. Like whoever started the cat and the housewife one, like, they're a genius. I don't know if we'll ever find the root to that one, but gosh, I love, I love that one. That one is, that one is so, that one is so funny. Like I've yeah, seen so many iterations have, of it. <laughs> I think I mean, there's a whole like show concept there. I think of like hunting for the origins and roots of all these like internet things or, or uh, it's like a Netflix documentary, probably uh, going to the root of all these different memes, sort of viral things and figuring out who started it. 
It's like almost a detective thing. Honestly, because it's like it's like the little miss and the little mister type ones that like everybody's doing now. And it's like we all know yeah. that character based off of like I think it was a children's book. I can't remember, but we all know that character back then. But then like we saw this resurgence of like the little miss, what it little miss, like drinks too much coffee. Like all we saw like everybody do those and it kind of went through like all the different like meme pages like my therapist says and all these other different right. ones but it's like you don't was like wait who actually started this and like who do we give credit to to all of these like other people will make ones but like the ones that go viral were like wait who actually owns it right and, and part of that is like part of the culture and everyone understands that it's kind of the stuff just evolves and takes its own uh, spin off it. I think the the ones that when, when you get into a little tricky business is like when you're very clearly taking something from someone and then putting it on your own page and presenting it as your own without, um, and it's like clearly on someone else's page or watermarked or credit or something, and they're not giving it. That's that's where you get in trouble. But to some degree, like you know, if you're taking something like a format like that and putting your own spin on it, like that's the whole game, right? Is like how can you kind of one up each other on on some of these formats. Oh gosh, there's a, I need I need to figure out one to do with the cat with the cat yeah. one and then um I need to make my own little miss whatever because I have I have so many good ones that I'm sitting on. <laughs> I gotta that do that. Great. But I feel like another thing that we've seen with a lot of like meme uh meme companies and meme accounts is like how they'll create like sub verticals or sub things like that. Like how like you guys have rad dad and animals doing things and other, um, other amazing cool ones. How does that idea come from where it's like, okay, it's time for us to kind of take the, cause I feel like a lot of times, like when you want to start a new vertical or a new channel or whatever, it's the fear of like, are we stretching ourselves too thin or will this actually pick up? That's, that's a good question. You know, it's, it's all for us, everything we do, it comes back to the audience, right? Like, looking for the signals and like what's getting engagement, what are people responding well to and doubling down in those areas. Right. And that's one of the things like our brand managers who all run in those pages and our creative team are good at is like knowing when something's hitting and when it's not and like when to push on and when to let it go. Right. Like sometimes, you know, people try to just force something too, too hard. And I think we've been really good at like understanding those things. And then, once we see, uh, you know, something popping, like how do we swarm that? How do we go bigger with it? How do we make it um, a more ongoing thing? And so like a bigger thing for us. So like where we're at today is where we have over 25 different social media properties and brands that we own and operate um, across uh, pretty much all the, the major platforms out there. Um, and also now thinking about video being more of a priority, right? So how do we take sort of what worked from a, uh, meme culture standpoint or meme pages and how do we start shifting that into video content, right? So uh, shows like Recess Therapy, which if you've been on social media, you've seen the corn kid and, and that <laughs> breaking the internet and that's a whole other podcast and discussion. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's that understanding of how creators work, how audiences behave, how the platforms behave and, um, you know, following those signals to tell you like, hey, what's going to work, what's not. Uh, and it's, it's art and science, right? There's definitely the science that says like, oh, this is engagement. And like, these are the numbers, the metrics to be watching. But then there's also just a little bit of a feel, right? And that's something that I think our team uh, has been really strong at is just a little bit of that gut feel of 
is this going to be something people like or not? Right. And, and, you know, you, you take, you put things up and if it flops, it flops and you just move on, you take your L and go home. <laughs> uh, you come back the next day, ready to go and try something new. Right. And I feel like, like you said, like listening to those signal cues from like your audience and stuff. I feel like a lot of times companies will try to like push a vertical or push a new thing and it's clearly not doing well, or they'll stop engaging in it. And that'll set it up where audiences are like, I don't know why they're trying to start new things. Like, they do that and they don't keep up with it or they keep saying things that we're not really interested in. So I feel like it's really key that you guys like, no, we listen and we kind of take the signals and watch that. Cause a lot of people in a lot of companies, I feel like they, they really don't adhere to that. And and the comments are so important too, because the comments will tell you like, it's, it's like, you know, there's obviously like, it's a certain small subset of the audience that is commenting. Most people are, you know, liking, sharing, like that kind of thing. But when you know, like, kind of who in your audience to listen to, right, to some degree, and you and you pay attention to those comments, like, they can guide you uh, and kind of tell you, um, hey, like, this is working, or people hate this, or they don't, uh, and kind of, it starts to become something that's honestly, like, trained in your brain, and you understand, like, just scrolling through it, like, all right, this ratio of these comments to these comments versus blue checks versus not blue checks versus, you know, how many likes and shares it's getting over a certain amount of time that, everyone's kind of, uh, you know, you kind of become your own little personal computer of like social sentiment and understanding what's, uh, what's working and what's not. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Yeah, and I feel like another key thing too with speaking of like the signals is like knowing when to kind of expand on it, like lead to the next chapter. Yeah. Like I feel like one thing a lot of creators and stuff are doing is like, oh, like we have something here like this in niche. So is it time, like you said, to switch over to video or how do I expand on this? And I feel like that's another like key hard thing to do too is like to know, okay, how do I expand on it? Then how do I make sure that 
this is what they want to do. And like you said, reading the comments and stuff like that's very key. So was there like a process that you all did when you decided to go into like that original content and original show realm? Um, I mean, it's interesting. So recess therapy was actually born um, a bit out of an old page we ran called kids doing things, which was a viral video page of a lot of kids doing different funny things, right. And viral kids videos, um, and so we saw that page always did well, but it wasn't, you know, it got a point to where it wasn't like necessarily taking off. And so that's where we came up with the idea of a concept of, Hey, like what's like the TikTok era, um, Instagram era version of kids say the darndest things. Right. And it's kind of like this concept, <laughs> an idea of, uh, putting Julian, who's just an amazing, uh, creator and the way he's able to pull things out of, of conversations he's having with children that are just so, I think, heartwarming and cathartic in some ways that, um, you know, it just landed and worked and made a lot of sense to go into that direction. So a lot of times we'll take, you know, the content that we're doing editorially on like the meme space or whatever, and let that sort of like signal to us that, hey, like this is a content space that we should invest in or go uh, further into and, and test. And, you know, we, we kind of take a VC model approach with our show content where it's let's let's do a few of them. Like if something's working, let's continue. And if it's not, let's sunset it quickly. Right. And not waste like time to the point earlier of forcing something that's not there. Uh, you know, same thing with our property, Bob does sports, right? It's a golf show and it's still called Bob does sports, but the original idea and the original concept was to try to do a lot more type of sports content. But what we found on YouTube, especially was just the golf content whenever he was doing golf stuff was performing really well. So we, continue to hammer down and push into the golf space. And so now it's pretty much a show that's a hundred percent golf. They'll talk about other stuff as well, but it's called Bob does sports, which is kind of awkward and funny, but you know, it works and the audience responds well to it. And uh, that kind of came out of a signal of one of our, our golf pages. We had golfers doing things at the time that golf content was taking off and doing well. So like, let's go and, and get into that space and read our CEO had a relationship with the creator, Robbie Berger, and they were just were talking about, uh, what's an idea for a show concept? Uh, and that's how Bob the Sports got born. And like speaking of like that also, like you mentioned YouTube, like have you guys tried to create like different strategies for like how to move that content on other video platforms? Like we have Reels now, which is confusing. And then <laughs> yeah, we have yeah. like TikTok because I feel like what a lot of people are doing is they're they're trying to find like like we was like Snapchat originals where people are doing like video series there, and then other people are like trying to find ways where they can <clears throat> create like bite sized content for like Reels and TikTok and like also doing YouTube. Are you guys finding that you have to create different strategies to promote on the reach audiences on those different platforms, or how is like a way that you guys are making it? Yeah, you, there's definitely best practices and strategies you want to try to follow, and you know, it all really starts with like. The consumer, like, why is a consumer on that platform, right? Like, if this content I'm making is going on this platform, like, getting in the mindset of, like, your audience and what they're doing on YouTube or what they're doing on Instagram or what they're doing on TikTok and letting that be your starting point for for what you're creating, um, I think that's super important, right, as far as dictating what your strategy is. And so that's a little bit of the approach we take as well, right? Like, obviously, YouTube is very intentional, long-form video views, um, it's a like episodic content just does better there than, than other platforms. Um, but then how do you use and leverage the other platforms to drive viewership onto YouTube, right? And knowing what kind of content clicks or is sticky on the other platforms and trying to create derivative content out of that original hero piece of content, uh, is, is something obviously I think everyone is doing at this stage in the game with, with how they promote, um, 
some of the more of the long form content, but like you can't just like take the content, take a quick 45 second mm-hmm. clip and just post it and like expect that to work. You really need to like stop, think like what's going to work well on this platform that I'm going to put this piece of content on and have an eye for that and being able to uh, then use that as like your approach to the different platforms if you're trying to take that content and adapt. Or if you're specifically just making for TikTok or just making for uh, Instagram, like again, like getting back to that root of like, why is someone even on this platform or someone who's finding their way to this content? Why are they here and making something for them that uh, is in line with what their expectation is based off of that platform and then who you are as well? Because I do feel like, <clears throat> like a lot of times, like we'll see people be like, oh, we have this cool video. Let's just post it everywhere video platforms are. And it's like, right. no, you want to make sure that whatever bit you're using, like relates to the audience where that is. Because yes, these are all video platforms, but the audiences on like Instagram compared to TikTok and compared to YouTube are all still kind of different. It's yeah. like you have to know how to like talk to people on those different ones and also what makes the most sense to those audiences on there. And especially if you're a brand, right? Like brands are so victim to that. They make their TV commercial and then they make the, that a YouTube thing. And then they put that on the social media platforms. Uh, it's really kind of like the lazy way to do it. You know, I'm a big um, uh, subscriber to the concept of the idea, especially in social media, but is like voiceover brand, which is like, when you're on social media and it's like a two-way conversation and there's people and interaction and engagement going on, like you need to harness a voice rather than your brand, right? Like it's not about you necessarily fully there. It's about the audience and, uh, you know, taking, taking that approach and realizing that in social media, what's more important and what you have is a voice, right? More than having just a brand that you just copy and paste and put anywhere and everywhere. And that, you know, the idea of a brand makes a lot of sense in traditional media. If you're thinking about, print and radio and television because yeah, it's like a one way communication line, whereas social media is two ways. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you just take like what you're doing and all these different mediums and just apply it to social media, you come across like one of those like customer service robots that are trying to help <laughs> you know it's not a real human. Right. And so that's why it's important. I think for anyone on social media brands or people, um, publishers to to take that approach of understanding that it's a two-way conversation and that you have a voice and not necessarily a brand and and you still have a brand and you still want to represent that in the content but first and foremost is, is your voice i think and i think also key too is like when you're on these platforms like tiktok or whatever is to not constantly you don't want the people there to feel like you're constantly selling to them but you yeah. kind of have to like be in the know and just like like be there and like what you said hone in on your voice and kind of figure out ways to tell people who you are through through that platform but not be like oh hey are you tired of being hungry and want to be active try (laughs) this product no like be there be part of the funny trends and stuff and then as people are finding your content engaged and be like oh they sell sweaters that i can buy for my baby goats like cool i need this (laughs) like cool And then it leads to that. Exactly right. And that's like where it's getting back to like why people are even there in the first place. Like people are on TikTok to be entertained, right? Like that's why people go to that platform. And so if you can give them entertainment and earn their sort of attention there, then yeah, you earn the right to then sell to them after that, right? And then the people who are masters at it are the people who figure out how to like integrate their brand and their product into that mm-hmm. perfectly. Like that's that's the, the sort of the holy grail, I think, you know, businesses or, or brands should be like striving for is how do they, you know, still uh, give people that entertainment and TikTok, but still like 
masterfully be able to weave into your point the, the sweaters they're selling for our for their goats from the from the alpaca farm down the road right yeah. like that's that's <laughs> the, yeah it's like i know abigail's cold i don't need you to remind me i will get abigail a sweater when the time comes like i don't need you to tell me every three videos insecurity because like you know a platform like tiktok is it's all a volume game and you don't know like what your opportunity is going to be to to talk to someone so you know you just kind of have to put it out there and hope for the best sometimes. And I f- that's true. And I feel like what we're seeing with like platforms like TikTok and others is we're now seeing brands and stuff get like, be comfortable with like, like you said earlier, doing stuff trial and error and it, them being like, okay, like if this doesn't work, like let's move on and like figure the fail quickly and move on to the next thing. And like, I feel like it used to be where everybody tried to like stick to a script and not get rigid, but now everybody's like, no, we have to like loosen up and right. like, just be able to like feel comfortable trying things. And if it doesn't work like that's okay. hundred percent. That's, you know, that's where I think a lot of the, you know, certain brands and very large companies have struggled is like, you have that fear of being fired. And so like it leads to very non-creative, I think vanilla type of work sometimes. And so I think like, to your point, like having a culture within your organization uh, that, you know, accepts that there's going to be testing and learning and failure and almost encouraging it and incentivizing it in some way so that, um, you know, you're not just left with something that's boring because someone's afraid of getting fired for posting something, you know? Yeah. And I feel like also just trusting your like social media managers and your mark and your marketing team to be like, okay, they spend hours working on this and knowing who our audience is. So even though I don't get it, like I have to trust that they get it. And I feel like we're seeing more of that too, especially like, groups that are trying to reach like younger viewers or younger buyers or whatever that is like they're like you know what like i'm gonna trust them they know how to talk to the audience they're not gonna just like post or write random social copy or whatever they're gonna figure it out and know how to talk to them and i just have to trust them even if i don't get it myself yeah and i think brands are getting better (laughs) about that as well as i've seen is, is you know obviously the they, they're not blind. They see like what does best and what works best. And, you know, their people are seeing and, and more and more, I think the more they trust the creators that the better the outcome is going to be um, for everyone, right. For the audience, for the brand, for the creator, if they get that freedom to ultimately, uh, you know, do their thing, like still obviously need to hit the points um, that they need to hit. But as long as they're doing that and, and staying within the certain, guidelines uh that they're given just letting them kind of do their thing versus you know pigeonholing them into something that's uh overly scripted or not super authentic to to who they are yeah it's like are you tired of being hungry and unrested this is why you need to try our oat bar like no (laughs) nobody talks like that (laughs) uh yeah and then then you throw some you know targeting behind it and it just starts feeling creepy and weird like when uh yeah, the you looked up an oat bar two weeks ago, and then yeah, like one p.m. on Thursday, I'm thinking I'm kind of hungry, and then scrolling through Instagram, and sure enough, there's uh, a video talking about this oat bar in my feed. Right? It's it's not. <laughs> or you're like walking somewhere, and it's like it's just like, hey, I saw you looking at those oat bars the other day. It's like, bro, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, like what kind of geotargeting is this? <laughs> A wild one. So over the weekend, I actually got a little cut on my finger and I was talking about it with my wife. I was like, Hey, like I got this cut on my finger. It's like really annoying because it's on my right hand and I keep touching things and it's like hurting and like, like trying to write or whatever. Uh, sure enough, this morning I got an ad from Amazon 
it was these little finger protectors that oh. are made for people who are, uh, you know, if you're working on paper or using your fingers a lot and so you need to put your finger, it's, it's kind of, you know, it looks like a condom to be honest. <laughs> and you just put on, and that's like a, uh, to protect it. And like, there is nothing or any reason I should be getting targeted with this other than I got this cut on my finger this weekend. And then sure enough, Tuesday morning, I'm getting targeted with finger protection things to help uh, protect my finger. Wait, I'm gonna have to ask you to send me that link because in the winter I always get like random paper cuts. I don't even work with paper; like I type everything, but I'll randomly get these cuts and I'll like try to tap my phone and just like do stuff, and then it's just like the salt from the screen just like hurts, right? And I'm just like, oh, what was me? But no, that's true because I was talking to my friend the other week, and I was like, hey, like I really want to try Pharrell's new skincare, and she's like, Pharrell has skincare, and I'm like, girl, like. He literally looks 18 for the last 20 plus years. Like it's <laughs> time so he true. tells us like what his secret is. Literally the second I picked up my phone to look up something else, my feed, I'm getting his like skincare. And if the if Pearl, if you're listening, please send me your skincare. I start getting like the feed for like all his products. And I'm like, yo, you cannot tell me our phones are not listening. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Who knows? I know they deny it, but uh, my, my theory is they are in some way. There's there's too too many weird instances like that of when you talk to anybody of having those experiences. Honestly. And I love the memes where it's like people who are like trying to get engaged where they're like take their partner's phone and they're like, princess cut. <laughs> and they're like <laughs> the engagement ring. Like yeah. like the cut just up the window. Yeah. <laughs> Jared's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> like those crack me up and I'm like, yo, note to self. <laughs> Smart. Um, but let the, let the AI the robots do the work for you. Honestly, because I'm like, look, if they can do it in Jared and all them around their feet, it's like more power to it. They'll get the hint. Right, right. Like you'll get that ring by spring. <laughs> like, hey, all the power to you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But speaking of events, like, do you guys do like cool like things to engage community like outside? Like I know since uh like in the last year, like a lot of media companies and brands are trying to like find ways to engage with their communities in person and even do like the whole like yeah. pop up events and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's my favorite thing we're doing right now. And like what I'm obsessed with, it's this kind of concept. Um, we kind of talk like about it, like IR or URL to IRL and then back to URL too. Right. So it's kind of like this cycle where, you know, I think especially, you know, around certain of these content creators and, and that whole development and movement and interest by everyone is, yeah, people, what's happening around this content is people are just connecting, right? And they're kind of build this community. And so I think there's a natural demand and interest in, in how do you uh, capture that in real life. And so an example of that um, that we're doing is we have the Bob the Sports Show and we're going to be hosting a golf tournament uh, hosted by Robbie and his whole crew and friends that are that are on the show to give the audience the opportunity to come and golf with them, hang out with them for the day. And then ultimately out of that experience, though, like build it out in a way that's also designed to create a lot of awesome content that then put back into the feed. Right. So it's becomes full circle mm -hmm. in a lot of ways so that. You know, you're letting the experience of, of what it's like in the feed or, or the things that are working in the feed and then bringing those to life in like a real life experience. But then don't let it just die in that real life experience. But how do you create the event and uh, in, a, in, in, in a way that's not just like, 
you know, there's like photo booths and those kind of things that are just like kind of gimmicky and, you know, people post it, but like, how do you actually create uh, content experiences at these events that then can become content that goes back to the feed and continue to kind of fuel that circle, right? And then become ultimately uh, an ongoing series, right, uh, of, of in real life events. And so that kind of stuff gets me excited because I think there's obviously coming out of the pandemic, a lot of thirst for, uh, you know, getting back together and, and doing things the old way of, of what uh, whatnot. And also like in the last two years, a lot of um, development and communities being built around creators and the things they're doing. And so uh, I'm really excited about it. And I think it's, it's, you know, letting sort of the audience and um, what's going on, like on the platforms or what's trending kind of like, guide what your event and activation should be. And then how do you make that event and activation something that doesn't just live in isolation, but then can be something that uh, goes back to being more content as well too. And then you create also a sense of that audience wanting to engage in your next one, right? Because they heard about the first one, then they see it. And then like, how do you then grow and let it become bigger after that? And I feel like that's such a true point because I I feel like we used to see those events where they have like the photo booth or the thing that you stand on with the like rotating camera that goes around and it's like, okay, cool. Right. Like have that for that moment. But like we're now seeing like uh, different like streamers and different companies do like these things where they're like, oh yeah, post your video on this or like spaces where like I know for um, Harry Styles' album, he did like Harry's house, which I waited in line for hours. But um, <laughs> they did like a cool thing where they had like different areas where you could go and create the content and then like share it. So it's like yeah. we're all there making the content in person, meeting other fellow Harry Styles fans. And then, but it's like you're making these moments that will be shared back online after leaving the thing. And like you said, it creates that like cycle of like URL, IRL back to URL where it's like, okay, like it makes you not just, it makes you feel like, okay, it's not just a one and done, but you're, it's creating right. like actually community engaging content, which everybody wants now. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you're, you're creating participation and like, it's amazing. Like everyone's a content creator now, right? Like, it, cause like, you see so much content from your friends and these platforms give you so many tools to make cool things. And so like, you know, giving people, and it's kind of like the, the tried and true model of like give creative people like the tools and the resources to make things and then like good things happen. And I think like same thing with events, right? Like create a cool environment for people to go and create content out of, and you're going to get rewarded back out of that. And, you know, it's something similar we've done actually with a few streaming partners where around uh, premieres of a show, we'll do like a screening event and kind of fun little small intimate gathering and party. And we'll have producers of the show there, cast from the show, potentially some of their marketing team, and then we'll bring in a bunch of creators from our creative team or also uh, partner creators we work with and do a screening and then also create kind of like different activations that allow people to to create content out of and kind of do a war room of content creation uh, in response to that. And then we kind of you know, spend a couple of weeks refining all the content and then all close to the premiere, blast that content out there across all these different pages you know, that doing things has, the brands have, or that the streaming partners have, or that the cast and crew can then and take content and put it out there, right, to kind of create this social swarm of, of some sorts around uh, the premiere, all sort of coming off of that in real life activation, right? So that's all hinged and rooted into that uh, real life experience. Wait, that's so cool. I, I like that concept, especially like being able to like meet the different people from behind that, because it kind of delete uh, cancels out that like third wall where the people feel like yeah. they're part of the show and part of the environment it, it builds more of that community interaction that like in the past like we really didn't get to like they might have done like a 
Twitter chat or something where you're talking to the cast, but like stuff like right. that. It's like, oh, okay. Like now I'm actually like part of like the crew. <laughs> yeah, part of the problem. And like they're there providing insight to like things you wouldn't know about to help sort of like that with that content creation process. So, you know, I, I love that. I think it's it's something really fun and, and it's something obviously they've responded well to, especially when it's like a season two or season three of a show where there's already like an established sort of uh, fandom around it. It creates, I think, an interesting way to really like engage fans on that deeper level. And again, breaking down that third wall and something that's not just a, you know, AMA kind of thing on Reddit or on Twitter. It's, it's you know, much more intimate and uh, deeper, I think, which is really, um, you know, I think the key to unlocking uh, fandoms, right? Like how do you connect on a deeper level? Yeah, like speaking of fandoms, I'm waiting for House of Dragon to start giving out dragons because I would love <laughs> my own personal dragon, to be honest. But, you know, I feel like uh, I'll have to wait a little bit on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they have like some kind of AR filter on, on some of the platforms where you can have like dragons flying around you or God. something to, to <laughs> hold you off in the meantime. The dream. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for my last thing, um, what advice do you have for anybody who's listening who's like, oh, we have this cool page or this blog or whatever, and we're ready to like expand it um, into whether it's creating a podcast or going into the e-commerce realm or like creating an original show. It's like, what advice do you have for people who are looking to like now take their whatever to the next step and really expand it and really like solidify the brand? Yeah. You know, it's twofold. I think it's, it's, first kind of looking at like what do you want it to be and like what's the reality of what it could be right and so that's a little bit more soul searching and a little bit more I think like visionary level of it right is like understanding like all right like here's what this is now this is what I think it could be this is what I want it to be right and kind of assessing the opportunity um, from there and then from there after that then it's like to the audience right so all right like what I've started or what I've, what have I built so far like what would the audience want to see? And like, I think I'm a big believer in that scenario and you're at that stage, go out. Like if you've amassed a small audience that's passionate or interested in what you're doing, ask them what they want to see next. Right. And like, what is the natural iterations, right? Like don't just assume you, you know, like obviously, you know, the signals can look at that data and information to help give you guidance on the kind of things or what people uh, respond well, but talk to your, talk to your uh, followers, talk to your, uh, subscribers, talk to those people and, and see what ideas they have. You'll be surprised how good of ideas are out there if you just ask for them. And so I think uh, that would be the biggest thing I would say is kind of like scope out and, and in your mind kind of vision board to some degree, like what you think it could become or what you would want it to be in your dream of dreams. And then from there, go listen to your audience and talk to your audience and uh, understand what they would want to see from you and, and see how those things align in if they don't, then probably relook at things and maybe have, don't have as good of an understanding of where you're at as you as you thought. Um, but if those things are in line, then I think you kind of know you're onto something and you can really uh, go full force from there at it. Yeah, I feel like the key there is like starting with like your audience. I feel like a lot of times like people do stuff and they'll be like, who asked for this? We did not ask for this. <laughs> and again, like, you know, like it started like with very good intentions, like someone had an idea that's thought was a good idea and they wanted to test it and see how it worked. And that's, that's great. People should do that. But if they had just taken the first step of like asking the audience first, what they would want to see this, or would you be interested, especially on like Instagram with like the poll function. Now it's so easy to use that. I've seen so many 
creators and influencers like use that, uh, you know, as, as just market research and understanding their audience and helping that guide them on either content that they should be making or uh, should they be doing more or less content or uh, should they create this merch opportunity or product or, you know, what kind of brands would you want to be working with or would you want to see on our page, right? Like just letting your audience, uh, you know, using that function in, in a way and letting your audience sort of help you uh, is only going to improve uh, what you're doing and give you uh, a better roadmap. And I, I feel like that's so true because I love when night people like post where they're like, who wants to see our weekly vlog from our trip to Sedona? I'm like me. I want to see it posted. <laughs> yes. I want to see it all. <laughs> I'm easily the one that's always like, yes, I want to see this content. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and my last one to be fun. Um, if you had to pick like a doing things, like it could be an object, an animal, whatever, yeah. what would it be? Like a new, like such and such doing things. Like if you had to pick like a new vertical to do. Oh, 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 like a new account or yeah, a new yeah, thing yeah. that I'm into. Well, there's one that already exists that is not ours, but it would be one I would put on the list of we should go get this page. It's just a personal is Aussies doing things. I'm, I have an Australian shepherd and they are just the most content, like heavy breed of dog I've ever seen. They're just goofy. They do wild stuff. They have high energy. So I'd want us to have Aussies doing things. If there's something that didn't exist yet, um, that's out there. We don't have anything in the food space. And so I'd really want us to figure out something in the food space. That's in that vein. And there's a guy, I, again, this already exists, but I, I love him. Have you seen, uh, chef reactions on I feel TikTok. Like I have. I'm like, even though my TikTok feed is mostly like upcoming artists and Taylor Swift theories, um, I'm yeah. starting to see a little bit of food content because I liked one food video. So like now my feed's like, oh, you like cheddar. And like, I'm now like <laughs> seeing like some in there. So I feel like I've seen one. Yeah. So he's, he's funny. He takes like all these, you know, viral food videos that people post on TikTok. There are some of them are just obviously just trying to get attention or be as, as weird as possible. Um, but some of them are also just incredible culinary creations that people are making as well. And he's a chef in New York. I don't know the restaurant and he films himself reacting to these videos. And these, some of them are just total atrocities and some of them are actually like really good. And he like comments the whole time about what they're creating and then gives it a rating and says if you eat it after. And so, uh, I love that format. It's pretty cool. I shout so shout out to him. Go give him a, a follow. Um, he's he's making some his sense of humor is just in my vein too. Very dry and sarcastic, but uh, it's good content. We we love a dry humor. Um, I feel like if I had to pick one, I'd probably do Velociraptors doing things. And I I just oh. feel like they I feel like they give the people what they would need. <laughs> You know, I'm not opposed. I like the idea that we could get an animator to to put it together. And I think Velociraptors are challenged in a lot of ways, but they're very, um, uh, you know, powerful dinosaurs. Like it, it would be, it would be, good. it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> but Austin, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun. We had it was such a party, <laughs> such a party. You said it would be. You delivered the party. So <laughs> kudos to you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Awesome. Thanks, Colin. Wow. How great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across 
Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.